Hey everyone, welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. Very excited to be talking about values-based innovation. We have Margarita Kiwis joining us on the show. Hi, Margarita. Hi, Alan. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on the program. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Very excited to have you on and also that we had Mark Nelson on the show. We had Jingxia New on the show as well, talking about peace technology, the Peace Innovation Lab. For those that don't know Margarita's background, she's co-director of Stanford's Peace Innovation Lab and member of the Behavior Design Lab, applying systematic ways to shift human behavior for business and societal outcomes. And you can find all the links in the bio below to her website, as well as the Peace Innovation websites and the LinkedIn Twitter profiles. Margaret, I've had a, such a good time talking to you before we started. Let's jump into things with understanding more about why exactly your heart beats for this. Ah, uh, you know, my heart beats for this because I have a son. And he's 19, and there's something transformative that happens to someone when you have a child. All of a sudden, whatever you were doing, it's sort of like it's, it's a marker in your life. There's you know, before child and after child. And when you're holding this baby in your arms, you think, I would do anything. I would devote my life so this child could have a happy, thriving life ahead of them. And I think the, the thing that drives me is my son, quite honestly. It's like, how, how do I take what I have and direct it toward that outcome? that there's a healthy world for him to grow up in and that I've, I've had a good run. It's, it's, you know, and for him, when he's my age, I want him to have had a good life. And so I want to be able to tell him on, you know, on my deathbed, I did everything I could, especially in this era where we have all these existential threats, where it's um, one of those rare times in history where you have to do, you have to step back and think, what am I doing and will it be of consequence? Especially when the stakes are so high. That's why I do this. Yeah, I like how you put it. It's a big marker in our lives when we continue propagating on the cycle of life and we want to make sure that the children of the next generation have an, an incredible quality of life and they're able to adventure into consciousness with a great amount of of basic needs that are met for them that they can be unleash their full creativity unleash find meaning in life all this good type of, of stuff i love i love the focus on that and helping catalyze change in behavior to have a greater degree of stewardship for earth or just a better understanding of the ultimate nature of reality why we're even here is just a very important thing that we're very passionate about that we talk about a lot in the program and it's very difficult to make impact on people's lives that lasts more than just the moment and that's something that i'm pumped to talk to you about as well how did you figure out on your life journey that this is what your heart was going to end up beating for? If you had asked me when I was 17, I did not know. I, the, the, um, my life has been based on a pull rather than a push. The, um, when I was growing up, we certainly, we, um, I'm part Yaki, so I'm half Native American. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the oral histories of my family and how um, 
not only are we survivors, but we're warriors. So we were one of the few native tribes that weren't conquered in North America. And that's a very powerful origin story. Yeah. Right? To have to know that you have the DNA of all your ancestors and they've all worked they they their lives were in in the hope of someone like me. Mm-hmm. And there's this saying that I saw on the internet saying that we are we are our ancestors' wildest dreams, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're going like, wow, if I am if I'm carrying the DNA of all the generations behind me and there's there's interesting research about how women how mothers carry have the cells of their children inside them Mm. and our children have our cells inside them as well Mm -hmm. and so there's also this chain that connects us yeah to to all the at least for me if you know all my female ancestors Mm -hmm. right um that's pretty cosmic Right, and and so they're going. So sometimes I feel all these native girls on my shoulder, looking through my eyes, and they're going like, "Wow, we, we made it this far. So what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. Right? If we've come this far, we must have a purpose. Yeah. We we came here for a reason, and part of I think for everyone, their quest is to find out what their their why is. Why why are they here? Yes. And for me, it's to continue to. Um, be present that all those people all those native peoples all those indigenous people it's like i feel like a a spy you know like i'm in disguise you know i have this skin on right and these the whatever and the modern clothing and all that but all my ancestors are along for the ride they go like damn we finally got in the room okay Mm -hmm. and with these decision makers and with these influencers and so on and so part of my responsibility is making sure that that voice gets heard and gets represented yeah, I love that cosmic perspective. If we you go back to our parents and their parents and their parents and you just keep going back, we all come from the same source mm-hmm. in the first place. And then on top of that, then there's this idea that you actually do carry all of your lineage. You carry your lineage there they're in a sense for especially for someone that is um, coming from a Native American background here that you're at the table, like you said. You're at the table. You're working with influencers on making drastic change now uh, that can hopefully catalyze a, a new era, a new world of maximizing our prosperity. So I love that cosmic perspective to it. Um, okay, this is, uh, I think, pretty hard to 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 to, to understand because. Uh, this is a this is a little bit more of a what sometimes we would think of as uh, as an abstract moonshot that uh, that we can somehow figure out how to incentivize peace on our planet. There's actually a lot of value that's in peace, and people like financial incentive. So sure. yeah, so teach us about that and about what you guys are then figuring out how to do at Peace Innovation Lab. Sure. I mean, peace is an abstract concept, right? It's about as vague as you can get along with many other things that are very aspirational. Uh, You see that in corporate mission statements. You see that in people's personal statements or even a society or religion. They're very aspirational. You say, well, how do you, what does that mean in the day to day? And so in our lab, given our heritage coming from BJ Fogg's uh, then Persuasive Technology Lab, we care about how people behave toward each other. 
and actually that also speaks to my own life you know in terms of discrimination racism sexism or whatever I cannot control how, what people think of me um, I don't have any influence over that and so I do care how they treat me what their behavior is and as long as their behavior is fair I actually don't care what they think in some ways uh, and we're in the positive peace business so when we're talking about that we're talking about pro-social behavior and so we really unpack that go like you know here we are in the Bay Area and we're going about our work and we go to the grocery store and we drive on the roads and so on and so forth and it's remarkable that 15 million people get along as well as they do if you thought yeah. I would have put 15 million people in a small space and you got to navigate the day um, when you stop and really reflect on your day it is remarkably free of friction mm -hmm. you know we know how to interact with each other we're not breaking out at fist fights at the Starbucks you know we take turns at, at, at um, you know stop signs we know how to queue up we do this we do that and the other all of that those tiny instances those are behaviors of positive peace mm -hmm. you know and I think one of the challenges that we have right now in civil society given the polarization is how do we continue to maintain that as a really good habit mm -hmm. to be kind to each other to show respect to show compassion to show empathy and you say empathy let's do empathy and you go oh that sounds really abstract well what does empathy mean in the moment what does compassion mean in the moment it might mean, uh, I was at the, on the airplane um, flying back from Amsterdam and I'm recovering from a, an infection and so the antibiotics had me a little bit weak and tired and I was trying to get my bag into the overhead because I was single traveler, right? And the, um, the, um, the steward came up and said, can I help you with that? And I go, how did you know? And he just... He, it was effortless. It was a tiny act of kindness, mm -hmm. right? And he's going like, okay, there's a small woman struggling with this bag, trying to get it up over her head. Mm -hmm. And let me just take care of that in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we mean in terms of behavior, right? And so mm -hmm. how do we cultivate that behavior? How do we reinforce that? Um, in, co in corporate parlance, that's creating a great customer experience, right? This kind of immediately is jumping me into... Um like you said, there's 15 million people in this densely packed metropolis uh, area and that the uh, idea that they can function harmoniously together um, as a society in the fabric that we exist in is in itself um, already miraculous. And there are these tiny little instances of peace that are being incentivized because when everyone agrees to a specific modality of existing on uh the money is this the transit systems are this way and you agree on these things at least until better things are created that can then uh, archive the old ones that then it makes it so that you can have a more frictionless society that gets fat that gets places faster that can create more effectively that can provide basic needs better but then you know as you're giving me this example with the steward, the flight attendant, there's this, to me, like, the, it's almost like who were their parents? Because their parents must have had somewhat of a 
of a pretty serious influence on the child's upbringing where the child sees someone that needs assistance with their bag or needs assistance crossing the street or whatever it is and that they go and approach them and help them right and that they're this whole idea of like a social credit system or some sort of an immediate reward feedback loop that happens for positive behavior positive pro-social behavior which is what we had as a definition on that show with sure. mark I, which we really like positive pro-social behavior just sounds like why wouldn't we want to have that everywhere right and then like what's this idea of well what if i had a an immediate feedback loop where i see you i help you mm -hmm. in some way and then maybe i gain a couple like social credit points maybe but even even more um it doesn't have to be as complicated as that it's um you know and and i i when i work with corporate executives and i was doing this the other week i said like okay here's an example you know i, I want you to break up into groups and there are two coffee shops and they're right next to each other. Coffee shop A and coffee shop B. Why do you prefer one over the other? And write mm -hmm. down all the reasons. Mm -hmm. And then collectively say, okay, why do you do it? Like, well, you know, and I go, because you know, it's, it's beans, it's hot water, they got tables, they got chairs, they got a counter. All these things are commodities. This is very utilitarian, right? So they're the same, they're the same. Mm -hmm. So why do you prefer one over the other? And we started to talk about aesthetics. We started to talk about feelings. We taught, started talking about the sublime, mm. right? And that is what makes something special. That is what makes a relationship or an experience special. You know, if you, back in the day when Virgin Airlines was operating, and then you had United, and United, of course, was in the headlines for how they treated their passengers and dragging them off and so on. And, and people would say, well, I'm in a high re highly regulated industry. It's very hard for me to innovate. And I go, look, but, uh, United and, and Virgin are in a highly regulated industry. You know, they got planes. The planes got to be operate this way. They don't have any air control over the airports. They don't have any control over when they take off and land. Um, th there's a lot that is dictated. But it's the stuff that isn't dictated that makes a difference in the experience, mm, mm -hmm. right? And it's those intentional choices and the point of view that they have about the customer, how they regard them, what they're trying to do. And when Branson talked about designing Virgin, he says, I come from entertainment. I nightclubs and music. And so to me, they are guests. And so this is basically a flying nightclub in the sky. I got pink and blue lights and you, know, you get cocktails on demand and great music and it's a great atmosphere because that's what I want. That's the experience I want to recreate. And the venue happens to be a very funky club venue. It happens yeah. to be on a plane. United looks at people as if they're moving freight. Yeah. You're just an object that's, that's to be moved from point A to point B at that time. Mm -hmm. And if it's overbooked, well, I have too many boxes. Let me... Let me just remove a box, right? Mm -hmm. Hence the, the dentist who lost his teeth and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. But if you and I were to brainstorm and say, how can we create a really great, great customer experience? And what do we do in the case when the plane is overbooked? I bet you our hundred top ideas would not include dragging that guy off the plane and breaking his teeth. Mm -hmm. Who would do that? And yet it happens, mm -hmm. right? And so if you step back and say, what are my values? Mm -hmm. And what is... What is the feeling that I want my customer to have? And this comes from video games, actually, mm. from my game designer. I'm, mm. my, mm. my thoughts are very much influenced by Chris Bennett. Mm. So like, game designers think about what is it that I want the player to feel emotionally? 
-hmm. What do I want them to feel physiologically? Are they, you know, is, are they excited? Are they shaking adrenaline? Are they frustrated? Are they confused? Are they elated? And then what are the game mechanics and dynamics that I'm putting into play in order to elicit that emotion, in order to elicit that physiology? So in this sense, this would be like the steward or flight attendant um, noticing that maybe your uh, emotional levels are in some sort of a, of a state that are uh, in need of, of physical assistance. And they come over and they, they, they because they're, they are maybe more sensitive, they're aware of your emotional state, they come over and assist you physically with uh, with with lifting your luggage into the, into the compartment. And then... Uh, they see your emotional relief. Right. They see you happier. Right. You you are like, oh, thank, think someone noticed and helped me, and I have more relief. I was feeling sick as well, and so then you know the flight attendant then gets also. They're like, oh, I was able to help someone. I feel great as well. Exactly, and that's a different kind of currency. So game designers talk about different currencies when they're when they're putting together games are doing the, the economics and and a lot of uh, games uh, aren't they don't start with the art and what the characters look like they start with a spreadsheet and they figure out what the different currencies are and so in society we also have different currencies but we tend to focus only on the dollar but there are emotional currencies reputational currencies um, social status currencies that people are willing to trade in right and so in that moment with the flight attendant he had the opportunity to, if I was thinking as a game designer, it's like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to delight her. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to give her delight and I'm going to relieve her anxiety. Yes. So it's both, right? Yes. And also th themselves feeling like they get a right. boost. Right, exactly. Well. And they get a boost out of that as well. And we know from the, the psychology research that that happens, mm -hmm. right? And so, so then it's not just about dollars, but it's about other other rewards that are happening as well. I like the view of this from the perspective of a game designer. I think that's mm -hmm. so crucial because we on the show talk frequently about, you know, what is this big game that we're all embedded in? What is source? What is creation? Why are we on a rock orbiting star and we birth into these bodies and we have these endeavors into consciousness? And one of the ways that we frequently address this is from the perspective of a designer, like a universe designer. Like, why is it designed this specific way? And when you think about that more deeply, you kind of get into all of this also so uh, it is slightly more esoteric and like metaphysical, but it also and spiritual. But at the same time, it is this like deeply emotional, practical. Uh, another being that has consciousness is in need of some sort of assistance, and I can have a deeper amount of emotional intelligence and just and just presence in general with another person that has consciousness in assisting them um, with this process, and that again is not necessarily immediately increasing my my social score um in the world but it has uh not on like a not on like an actual digital ledger a physical score yet right. but it is uh, some sort of an interpersonal dynamics that like we said there's a psychological boost here there's a um, anxiety decrease for you and an emotional boost for you. And it yeah. could have been played out. I mean, so so let's think as like game designers, right? So so we have uh, the mechanic and the dynamic. The mechanic is the suitcase. The dynamic is lifting it up, right? So that's the behavior, the action. Um, he could have done it, and 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 the the physiological and emotional outcome could have been shame, embarrassment, humiliation. 
um, mm. uh, anger, you know, on my part, depending upon his tone, mm. right? It's, so it's not just the fact of I'm going to take the bag in and put it up. It's it's how you do it and the intention behind it. Like the idea of it being potentially like, oh, another customer that needs help with this process. Right. Or he just jerks it out of my hand or he... Versus, oh, let me, let me help exactly. you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so that is the difference. That little delta is the difference. Because both acts are utilitarian. We, you know, so here we are. The design problem is you need to help, you know, the person needs to get their, their bag in the overhead. Yeah, so interesting. So it, both acts being, uh, yeah, utilitarian and helping. Mechanically, they're the mechanically same. Mechanically, the same, but they have a, uh, a different deeper emotional, physiological, physiological outcome. Yeah, and so if yeah. he, say he did it in a way that upset me, and I'm taking this antibiotic, which makes me very tired and vulnerable anyway, then that would have set off, as Mark would say, this whole neurochemical stream in my body that would have affected me in a, in a much deeper level in my body, mm -hmm. right? Versus in this case, you actually went up. Like, well, you, I actually yeah. went up. I felt yeah. relief. I felt yeah. safe. I felt like um, if I asked him to do something for me, it would be okay. I wouldn't be embarrassed, mm -hmm. right? Let me, let me see if then... So then examples like this for you guys are you get to analyze examples, these um, positive pro-social behaviors, then you get to also uh, work with uh, corporations. To you, you gave this example of like United versus Virgin Airlines. Um, there's so many other examples with corporations, as well as uh, just what are these positive pro-social behaviors? And you give these really good examples, and you try and catalyze then more of more awareness with what we right. just described exactly you can design this you can be intentional and um it, you know translating this to a language that corporates um that, that it resonates with this is about how to do you know here's this thing we're in a day and age where so many products are just commodities everything comes manufactured out of china so you got this and you got that and they're the same so why would someone choose you over somebody else Intent usually values. The intent is going to yeah. be because of how you make them feel. Interesting. Right? So, 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 it, so intent so, and values are about how you make them feel. Right. And it has to resonate with what they care about. Because otherwise, it's just molded plastic versus molded plastic. It's an app versus an app. Mm -hmm. You know, even in financial services, it's bank A versus bank B. Well, I mean, the, the, the differentiation with a lot of products and services in the world is marginal. Mm. It really is. And so if you want to have a competitive advantage, it's all about how you treat people. Mm -hmm. and, and to the extent that you can be kinder, warmer, more compassionate, more empathetic. Mm -hmm. um, that is a net positive in the world because then that person goes about their day and they feel better. And that, that emotion is contagious. And what's interesting about working with corporates is that they have resources and they have pain points. They're trying to be more profitable. They're trying to find an edge. And so they come to us and say, we want you know, digital transformation or we need to be more innovative. Or we, and I always say, why? Mm. Is it because it's the fad because everyone else is? And, and if you do that, 
how will you how will it be any different than what you have right now and for your customer they're not thinking so like whoa you know what i'm really looking forward is you know going to xyz's corporate website they don't think that they're they're thinking about my, their personal needs their their goals their aspirations where they want to go in the world and looking you know and in in that moment where they go oh i need i need a tool i need something to help me get there mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Yes. but um, okay. people aren't like product centric they're they're personal goal centric they're family centric they're relational centric my mom is sick i need x mm-hmm. right mm. that's what drives a lot of human behavior so you need to understand that mm-hmm. okay so when we were talking before we started um we started endeavoring into this idea of this like big why behind everything that we do and when it's when it's very clear this idea of like a big why well okay well i it's not just some i want to make the world better but it's a very clear like i'm making the world better in this specific way because of this specific value or belief that i have and then it becomes more clear okay and then the examples of when we were talking we kind of made it clear that well if you're gonna build tech and everyone uses these examples but it's just that like you really can uh build tech with more values-based innovation and intention and emotional awareness where it's driven more in the direction of 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 raising the basic needs for people around the world and not having those slips of malevolence that occur with technology because we don't have the ethicists or the philosophers or the moral scientists that are embedded with computer scientists and chemists and biology engineers like we just need uh, a little bit more foresight when it comes to putting together the biggest corporations around the world and the biggest governments around the world and how they interplay with each other and so this idea of of of, of having like a, a big a big why well why should there be um, why should there be some sort of a peace incentive or peace uh, uh, innovative uh, inclusive stakeholding system that occurs when uh, when I as a computer scientist am bringing some sort of value to the world and all of a sudden I tie in an ethicist along the way what does that do well it actually has a value that's attached to it which is that um, the the 50 or $100,000 a year that I pay for an ethicist to come and work with a team of computer scientists actually uh, has um, effects of multiple millions of dollars down the line of malevolence that is actually... uh, uh, That just never happens. That never happens. It's interesting. There was a a New York Times story on um, the, the, the top AI guy at Facebook and his career and how brilliant he was and so on and so forth and how his job day to day is figuring out developing AI to root out uh, really malicious content and it is um, you know child pornography and terrorism and people beheading each other and the the worst of the worst right Mm -hmm. and I felt so sorry for him because here was someone who was talented who said, I'm going to study computer science and AI because I want to make the world a better place in some, ma- in some manner. And he spent his day and his team's day in the thankless task of sort of like cleaning out the Aegean stables every day. Mm. 
and there's just more crap and mm. there's just more crap and they can't keep up with it what because, is the root cause right and because w- what they had done was they had opened up this pandora's box and 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 there was just no putting it back and so his career has been reduced to that and it was it was sad it was poignant because it's it's like how depressed he must be because every day he has to go in and 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 you know he's got a teaspoon <laughs> to, to try to clean out you know <laughs> this thing and at the end of the day because i didn't even make a dent and when i come back there's going to be 10 times more what is the root cause of 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 us propagating terrorism videos or beheading videos um and there's something that is just when children are born into the world they don't get that recognition that this is a divine place for them to have had the opportunity to pursue a conscious endeavor and uh when we're still uh the globally not recognizing that this is a divine place that we can all ha- uh, have great abundance and love and prosperity on, um, then we're going to run into issues like this. Um, we have a we have a uh, an example that that you gave um, me earlier that I thought was really interesting when you when you dive into the depths of 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 of, of, of forced migration and of climate change you find some very uh crazy things that you were teaching me about and your solution to it was really cool the um you know the peace and conflict and climate change are intertwined uh when we look at the challenges of this century it's going to be food water energy security mm-hmm. uh, and and that's a constant in terms of, of of humanity but it's more acute now because of climate it's changing the the boundary conditions it's changing the, the the context in which people operate in so when you look at the mass migrations that we've seen from central america um people don't leave their home until unless it's the it's the decision of last resort in Syria, uh, many researchers looked at the root cause of the civil war and said it was due to climate change. And um, what's inter- and, and it was about uh, the cost of bread. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, bread is the food of last resort. Um, when we think about what we eat, um, there are commodities trading that's done on grains, soy, corn, wheat, mm-hmm. because you can store that and it has a very, very long shelf life, right? And so people can eat bread for a long time. The thing that doesn't store indefinitely is produce, mm-hmm. fruit, vegetables, uh, spices. And so if you're in a region, we don't have a way to detect when there's scarcity yeah uh, there's sudden drop off of all of a sudden the marketplace there's a marked r- reduction in fresh fruit locally grown fresh fruit and vegetables right yep. and so that's actually and so there's no there's nothing that there's no red light that goes off on anyone's desk that says oh we need to look at that because if this continues then the next thing once once that food source has been eliminated all you really have is bread yeah and if the bread prices grow up is because and and people are rioting over the cost of bread it's because they don't have anything else to eat mm-hmm. and we don't have a good way to detect that but imagine if we did mm-hmm. then we could get ahead of these problems because by the time that people have to migrate then it becomes a political issue and certainly we saw that in Germany a few years ago as Syrians were migrating into Germany 
and everyone's going like, well, I'll take a few, but I'm not to, I'm not going to take many. And and then you have refugees and the um, refugee camps. You think they're not going to be around for long? They'll be around for twenty years. Mm. These people who are stateless, who are jobless, who can't get integrated into the local economy because people don't want that flood of cheap labor. Right, so it's a protectionism um, behavior. Like, okay, we're going to keep them here and hopefully they'll go away. They'll go back. Um, we're just going to have more and more of that. So, you know, how do we, if we know that that's going to be an issue, then then I'm going, okay, you got to go. Wayne Gretzky, where, where's the puck going to be? What do we need to put in place mm-hmm. so we can detect that and address it when the problem is small and relatively inexpensive, both economically and politically? I love this scarcity meter or scarcity radar or just a prediction uh, capability through pattern analysis of of observing less uh, less produce being made, uh, more people purchasing bread, uh, more scarcities being developed. Well, there's likely some sort of issue that's happening in that area. And given the continuation of that issue, you can expect to have more uh, symptoms arise. And so having foresight with the way that we uh, are able to leverage um, artificial intelligence and computer science pattern recognition to do things like prevent um, forced mass migrations and prevent uh, uh, other sorts of like children having trauma growing up because of things like that. Um, And so that has that saves uh, again millions and billions of dollars when you look at life trajectories and life outcomes and the need for for uh, for like needing to use pharmaceuticals versus uh being able to like provide creative value to society this is um this is a very massive thing and and but one of the big things that i think a lot of the time um we we you know we talked about in our conversation and people like to know is like okay well what do you do about something that is as drastic as um, having a, you know, yeah, you can put in some sort of a pattern recognition system for that type of stuff, but there's some sort of other deeper rooted behavior change that has to happen. And how do you make it last longer than an incremental piece of content that somebody absorbs and then... Sure. Yeah. I mean, so there, there are a couple of different ways that you can have lasting behavior change. Um, and the most powerful one is changing the context. Okay, if you change the environment, you change the context, you change people's behavior. Mm. Um, so people say, like, you know, people never change, or it's so hard for me to change my habits. And I go, go travel for a month. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you go travel for a month, all your old habits are broken because you're not waking up in your same old bed, you don't have your same old routine, I'm going to go to the bathroom and walk over to the kitchen, make myself a cup of coffee, settle down. All of that gets blown up. Yeah. Right, all of a sudden you are thinking about where am I going to eat? What am I going to do? What is it? And everything changes, right? Yeah. And then you come up with a new routine for travel, or you come up with a new routine for exercise while you're traveling, or whatever, yeah. right? So when the environment changes, you change. Yes. And so guess what, planet? We're all in for a lot of change because our context is changing. Mm-hmm. And so the question is. How do we change and adapt in a way that is constructive and productive and pro-social? Okay. And how do we do it in a way where we can be good to each other? And maybe where it's incentivized. And where it's incentivized. And part of the incentive is, um, you know, the, there's policy and law and legislation because that basically um, provides the rules of the game. 
So it's interesting. So mm-hmm. having spent enough time in Europe, you go, why, you know, cases, Europe versus U.S., whatever. And I'm going like, wow, in, in Europe, they have a lot of labor protection. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can't work 80 hours a week in the Nordics. It's just not allowed, mm-hmm. unlike Silicon Valley. So that means, okay, they don't create Silicon Valley kind of craziness. On the other hand, there's no labor exploitation, right? Because that's the rule of the game. It's just not even on the table. So it's not like one company can say, well, I'm going to, you know, I would love to have my people only work 30 hours a week, but my competitor has them work 60 hours a week, so mm-hmm. I have to do that as well. This law level sets everyone and says sorry no one can get an unfair advantage by harming people this way and harming people in terms of taking them away from their relationships their families all the other things that they need to do in civil society we've contained it yes we want your labor but we want it like this and the wages are going to be like that mm-hmm. and so as a consequence because of the rules of that game you don't see massive homelessness in europe mm. the way you do here mm. right and here we're trying to solve homelessness, but the rules of the game are such that in a winner-take-all, you will get homelessness. There, they've said that, that we don't even want that as an outcome. So as we design this game, we just take that option off the table. The, mm-hmm. the conditions that would allow for that, we, we pulled that card. Mm-hmm. That rule, we scratched it out. Just, you know, you, you can't do that. Mm. So that's what, in terms of, you know, the intentionality of how you design a society, mm-hmm. right? And that's something that engineers don't do because we don't study that. We don't, des- we don't study what is it to have a good life or what is it to have a just society. We spend four years working on problem sets. Mm-hmm. It's the humanities majors who sit there, who think, who read, who write, who really ponder these issues. And we actually, I don't think we have enough humanities people in positions of leadership in Silicon Valley Mm. because they would bring that necessary perspective and say, Mm -hmm. I want you to innovate, but I want you to do in the service of creating a just society. Mm -hmm. And this is what it looks like. Can you innovate for that? And as an engineer, I just need to know what what, what my conditions are. You say, this is the spec. It needs to do this, this, and this, and it has to cost this much and this material and... Got it. It's just you add it to the design spec. Mm-hmm. So this is where you know if you can, if we can bring these values at the point of design, then it's baked in. Yep. Oh man, it's like if you see all of the potential trajectories that exist in terms of a civilization's outcome, uh, or even at a smaller level, the, the nat, the nation's outcome, you can do things like you can see the ones, those little bifurcating moments that send the civilization or the nation into worse outcomes. And you can prevent, uh, you can take preventative measures that ensure that there are, um, the symptom of homelessness does not occur. The symptom of suicide does not occur. The symptom of 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 uh of of poor uh uh stakeholding uh inclusive stakeholding does not uh occur because when there is no inclusive stakeholding you get um uh self-dealing habits of 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 physicians or of, of teachers or of corporations that deal to themselves rather than to the people that they actually serve with their employees with their customers with society at large the communities that they're in um this 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 is so 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 important and it also it also kind of makes me think about like 
you know when you're talking about um and this is um the peace um innovation um has a uh you guys this is like a, a collaborative project in the netherlands that you guys we have an institute in the netherlands an yes institute in the yes. netherlands and you were giving this example where you're talking about uh about uh uh, you know, Europe taking some sort of measures that are different than the U.S.'s, and we're talking about making long-term behavior change. Well, you talked to me about this before we started, but if you do on your on your transit service, if you see the option for if you walk, it's going to take this long. If you bike, it'll take this long. If you take a car, it'll take this long. If you etc. bus, it'll take this long. But next to that is the price, right. and it's just the price shows up right but that third one is now the carbon footprint right and then it becomes embedded in everything you see all the oh, time oh absolutely once once it was that the app is called transer t-r-a-n-z-e-r and it's in europe and and mark had downloaded it last week and he goes oh Mar margarita look at this and he goes look it tells you what the cost is if you just drive yourself because normally when you get these transit apps, you're saying, I'm trying to get from point A to point B, it's like Google Maps, right? And it says, you know, you know, do you, are you going to drive? Is it going to use transit? Are you going to walk? Are you going to bike? And it gives you the times. And so most people are looking, the, 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 the metric that matters is time right and then money right yeah. and so then and then when you're looking at public transit of course they're telling you what the cost is so that way you know yes and so in this one it told you the time and and the route and you know you got to get on you know the 16 tram and then you transfer and blah 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 and and the cost boom 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 but then it also but if you choose not to do any of this and you just drive yourself it was a difference between 11 euros and 35 euros Mm -hmm. And the 35 euros were if you drove yourself. Now, how many of us are conscious of how much it costs us to drive 10 miles? We think it's free. Mm -hmm. We think that there isn't any cost because we already own the car. You know, we have forgotten that cost. And so I, I, so I did some screenshots and I go, okay, so it's $35 if I drive myself and then I click to see more. And then it tells me what my carbon footprint is mm -hmm. when I drive. And that was interesting because then I said, oh, the metric that matters is carbon footprint. Because if we don't solve this in the next 10 years, it doesn't matter what the price was. Mm. It won't matter. All the money in the world is not going to help you mm -hmm. if the planet is ruined. And so it would be interesting. If I could wave a magic wand... I would have a carbon footprint column on every receipt. So, and then all of a sudden you would start thinking like, wait a minute. So every item, every the, item, like, a, like buying a computer, yeah, like buying a pillow, right? I mean, every item, every item. Tell me what the carbon cool. footprint is, because then you would be going like, "Ooh, wait, what?" Because then I'm making a different comparison. You're also pushing people to understand the manufacturing processes of the items that Absolutely. they purchase, which actually decreases ignorance and increases uh, awareness in general. So, 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 if you wanted to move people away, so we're in this surveillance economy there's a book about surveillance capitalism you know we've moved from uh 
you know, VHS to DVD to streaming service because it's so convenient. Isn't Netflix so great because it's so convenient? If someone told me what the carbon footprint was of Netflix maintaining uh, server farms all around the world so I can just stream, you know, the good place anytime I wanted versus me getting the DVD from the library, I'm going like, oh, wait a minute. Do I actually need my router on 24-7, nine hours of which my people are asleep, just so I could have the convenience of, in 10 seconds, being able to download an episode of The Good Place? Versus, you know, here's a DVD player. When you want it, you plug it in. You put the DVD in, you play your movie, and you take it out. Voila! I mean, what you know, it would be mm -hmm. interesting to see a comparison of that. When I was in the doctor's office on Monday, you know, they're taking my temperature, they're taking my blood pressure, and I had that, again, that carbon footprint moment where I'm going, wow, 40 years ago, the nurse would have come in with a mercury thermometer, she would have stuck it under my tongue, gotten the measurement off, written it down, she would have gotten the, the blood pressure pump, you know, manually pumped it up, mm -hmm. looked at the dial, got it. The carbon footprint for those two items is zero in op and using them in operation, right? We're not excluding manufacturer, but once you have it to, to do it, there's no carbon footprint. And now they have these fancy machines to get the same two numbers. Yeah, there's 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 definitely some nuance um, with yeah with manufacturing that leads up to the product, but also on the accuracy of the readouts of the data points. Um, but in general, catalyzing more people through something as simple as adding the carbon footprint number on their transit app, I think, is a really easy one that does that long-term awareness behavior change that we were talking about, and also just the idea of when you look at everything at a store that it always has a carbon footprint attached to it maybe it even has to have a quick little like paragraph or like a quick little um, 20 second video about how it was manufactured as well so that way you know about what resources were used what was the you know the bill of materials the supply chain of where it actually came from uh, where it was assembled all this type of stuff how it got shipped because i mean if we're if we're talking carbon footprints of things that we buy, I mean, things have to be transited quite a while, uh, quite a distance right. to get to us and barges uh, are 90% of all world trade happens by barge, by sea. Um, and then you have the automotive, the trucking that happens to move it from place to place as well. You know, there's a lot of really interesting solutions with uh, with things like nuclear fusion. Um, we just need, again, we need, again, this is a big thing. Like, if you want energy that's free, close to as free as possible, or completely free or zero emission, um, you really need the teams of the best scientists in the world um, and the best funding in the world that um, pushes us towards uh, innovating towards that um, that free forever sustainable like nuclear fusion technology uh, otherwise you're gonna we're gonna get stuck again with uh, with not identifying root issues energy was one water was one food was one these are very root issues basic needs uh, and I mean the yeah. thing is that they're not gonna go away so let's fast forward 10 years yes you know people are still gonna be raising children they still need to get food on the table they still need to take care of their sick mother-in-law all this, the stuff of the human condition continues. I mean, during the depths of World War II, people still needed to do all that. During, I assure you, during the Black Plague in the Middle Ages, people still needed to do all that. And the conditions were harsh. They were wicked. But they said, okay, 
the 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 how of I, how I get the food on the table, of the how of how I take care of family members, the how of how I do employment, that changes, mm-hmm. right? And so, for innovators, the opportunity is, you know, this is a new design constraint. This is a new design opportunity. That that, that inflection point, because we need to. Um, reinvent, re-engineer all of the stuff from the ground up. And this is what entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley do really well. So this is the opportunity where we can use our abilities to disintermediate, but do it in a very intentional, positive way. Hmm. As opposed to, I'm going to disintermediate it um, and just, you know, I just totally destroyed that industry and I made myself a gazillion dollars and say like that industry is dead anyway there are a lot of industries that are go- that are full of stranded assets mm-hmm. because the, the carbon footprint is just going to be too expensive you just can't continue some at some point someone's going to call uncle and say stop we just game over you guys are done but that doesn't mean the need that that company or that sector was filling has gone away and so innovators then need to say, okay, how do I do this in a way where I minimize the carbon footprint? How do I do this in a way that maximizes people's ability to be good to each other? Yep. Because that's, that's the way we're all going to survive and thrive. And a lot of this comes from also what we were talking about beforehand, which is this process of teaching uh, critical thinking and teaching nuance, teaching emotional intelligence. And you gave this really good example of something that actually corporations would be very interested in funding, um, which is teaching their employees about fishing techniques. Absolutely. Um, And this is pH fishing. uh, And that's... Uh, when you have some sort of a malevolent uh, incoming uh, threat that happens that is hidden in some way, it's uh, obfuscated that it is a threat, and that people suscept- that are susceptible that are susceptible susceptible to uh, not having vigilance with that uh, with that style of incoming threat fall for it um, something like if you see paypal.com sending you an email that's good it's like support at paypal.com but if it's you know support are you at you know paypal are you.com or whatever right. it could be coming from a russian phishing scam or from someone in the u.s trying to cast the phishing scam to russia or somewhere else in the world as well these things happen a lot where it's like please submit your password your account is under uh, some sort of issue but to get people practicing their corporations getting their employees practicing but also getting people around the world practicing this like little kindergarten task of like you know be vigilant with what the email addresses that you're getting with what how it's structured what they're asking you for and this is just like what we do when we see a a news source that you want to see what the source is exactly we did a case study on that with a um a cybersecurity company and when I was talking to David No, who was the behavior designer who was working on this, I said, I goes, do you, do you, where do you, do you see there's a peace tech angle in this? And I said, absolutely. I mean, as you said, um, you know, uh, globally, um, people are losing their ability to, to discern fact from fiction. But if we said, well, how are we going to address that, address that as a society in the United States? That feels big, abstract, uh, don't even know where to start. Uh, who's going to pay for it? How would you do that? I mean, how do you, how, tactically, how do you do this in any kind of practical way? Um, but a corporation, on the other hand, has a felt pain point. 
because they can calculate how much employee time is lost in dealing with all this phishing, uh, what the vulnerabilities are to the enterprise if, a, if an employee accidentally clicks on a link yep. that brings in some sort of malevolent uh, software into the organization, they can ca- compute hard costs yep. to those behaviors of not having critical thinking. In which case they go, ah, okay, this is what it's costing me, so I'm willing to pay this much to fix it. Yep. Right? So they actually are, corporations are incentivized to address this problem. And so I was saying to David, I go, if we could do this so that it is a building block and you can take an employee and say, get them to be discerning enough to understand fa- fact from fiction in email, then the next step is how to discern fact from fiction on sources of information they read about on the internet. Yep. Because in the inter- what does it mean to a company, to a CEO? He or she has their people working and doing, you know, doing product research. And if they can't tell the difference between the information that's valid and that's not valid, then the company might go down a path erroneously because they got bad information. Yeah. Right. So, so it actually hits their bottom line. But then once those people are trained, you know, once they leave their office and go home, it's not like those skills went away. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever they're reading on the internet, all of a sudden they have a new lens. They have this capability of saying, "Wait a minute, you know what I learned at work is if it if it if it if it has these attributes, it's probably phony." I'm reading this personally. This is probably wrong. Yeah, I'm such a big fan of this like kindergarten uh, uh, tr- um, class that we all take on on fishing that that increases our our uh, critical thinking, and then there's like first grade and second grade classes that we can take that make us better at being able to you know we do it all the time with uh, we don't typically just go to one source for information or we don't go to one source when we buy something we go and shop meaning we look at three or four different companies and prices and uh, similarly when we uh, look for knowledge we don't just go and look at one specific source we're looking at multiple sources and trying to look at those so it's interesting to me also thinking about how like the style of critical thinking for children and for adults can really uh, catalyze the um, again like a deeper behavior behavioral change uh, towards positive pro-social long-term behavior and I I love that and corporations will front the bill because they see that it for for them it's multiple millions of dollars of cost if they don't do this for their employees. Right there's a real real bottom line here Um, a colleague of mine once uh, said recently you know a confused mind does nothing and the, if you look at the strategy, the psychological strategy behind all these disinformation campaigns from Russia, uh, it's a very, it's a really elegant hack in terms of warfare, because they don't f- need to fire a single shot. All they need to do is confuse Americans so they do nothing, mm. because we don't know what's real and what's not, mm-hmm. and because we don't, we can't move forward. We can't, we can't act with confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, a, it's as if they had um, transmitted a nerve drug digitally, cybernetically, to all of us so we're paralyzed. And all we can do is dispute, you know, what's real and what isn't. 
Oh man, yeah, when you put it into like, yeah, this like cybernetic nerve drug, I think that's a very, you know, interesting and novel way um, to put it is how can you um, also potentially do a cybernetic uh, a positive pro-social exactly. uh, drug or behavior change. Right. Yeah, because- A vaccine, yeah. Yeah, what, what would, you know, what would that, that be, I mean, we have another interesting example that you gave earlier too, before we started about the Fair Game Alliance, which I thought was really interesting. So you can take um, the companies that are typically uh, uh, trying to, you know, hold on to the, the players, the players that are playing their games and um, harassment and bullying are major issues that cause players to leave playing games. And so they're now sharing best practices and 60 or so of these companies sharing best practices. So like, you know, what would these best practices be for society at large to catalyze more positive pro-social behavior? Yeah, and again, for um, the, the business models for these video game companies, it, they're not advertising driven, right? So it, the, you know, it's, it, you, you, it's subscription based, it, it might be a loot box and so on, but it's add-ons. You go in and I'm going to buy stuff for my avatar, I'm going to buy a costume, I'm going to buy weapons, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy that. Um, the only way there could be a buying opportunity is if I'm actually on the platform playing, mm-hmm. right? And so for, because of that business model, these video game companies are then v- majorly incentivized to keep those players happy. And it needs to be a, a, a pleasant enough environment that they hang around and play, right? Mm-hmm. Unlike Twitter and Facebook, where their business model is based on ads or YouTube. Um, so that it, the, 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 the underlying behavior of the people who participate on the platform doesn't matter to their bottom line. Mm-hmm. as long as they're selling ads. So there's no incentive for them, except for um, one of common decency. Mm-hmm. But that's only when it suits them mm-hmm. to do something to change. And also the scale of their problem is, is quite large. Do you have, um, with, what, with what you and your team are, are seeing a, a massive uh, value add, again, like there's, there's value uh, deep uh, economic value in people uh, learning positive pro-social behavior and corporations funding the employees to train uh, to be trained in these types of behaviors because it just catalyzes more um, financial reward for themselves and also just it catalyzes more harmony between humans when we can incentivize you know do you guys have you know we've listed so many examples but I'm I'm really 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 curious about like on a on a just on a, like a global level about you know yeah like a kindergarten fishing course that i can go and take or that i can like now start seeing the the carbon uh footprint for my transit right or for the items that i'm buying like are these the these are like the most cutting edge ideas for for positive pro-social behavior and like how can other people you know partake in incentivizing uh this pr- positive pro-social behavior as well. So we're working with one um, one bank in Europe where uh, the CEO has stated what their um, aspirations are to be as a bank in terms of sustainability and um, different um, uh, sustainable development goals that have yes. been put forth for the UN in terms of, of gender, uh, environment, um, you know, fairness, and so on. And so we've been working with them and saying, okay, so how many of you are aware that, you know, your CEO in this other country has put this out? They go, oh, we didn't know that. And they go, okay, so how are you going to operationalize that? 
because otherwise it's just rhetoric, right? And a lot of um, yes. values are put in the box of CSR, which is about this big, right? And especially with these companies, we've talked to them, they, they, one of their pain points is recruiting. How do they get talent in? Yeah. How do you get m- millennials and the next generation to come in? They're very values-based. Yes. And they, uh, you know, Greta Thunberg. Um, and so they want to work with a company that's actually going to have positive impact. But again, positive impact is as abstract and social impact is as abstract as peace. So we're always trying about how do you get this grounded into practical everyday behaviors? What does it, you know, how will I know it? How will I recognize it when I see it? Mm -hmm. And so we've been working with them to think, okay, if we're talking about, um, you know, more female leadership, we got to put numbers on it. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah. And uh, what do you mean when you say sustainability? Give me a number. Once you start putting numbers around them, then people can start rallying around that. Yes. Um, and I think that's only going to increase because you either are going to adapt to what the world is going to look like in 10 years or you're going to be out of the game. Mm-hmm. You'll be forced out of the game because of regulators or you'll be forced out of the game by consumers because they will have chosen that aspirational startup that just disintermediated your industry. Yep. Yep. So you, you actually don't have a choice. If you want to survive, you've got to change. You've got to incorporate this into your products and services and not just the PR opportunity that your CSR gives. Yeah, yeah. A deeper uh, embedding of the big picture of something like the sustainable development goals into, our, our, into, our, into the essence of of ourselves on a uh, and uh, into the projects that we build on an actual tangible um, numerical uh, uh, behavior changing uh, right uh, yeah. and in order to for that to happen it can't happen by engineering centric or engineering exclusive teams alone mm. this is where you need to get people from other disciplines like to come humanities. into those product development teams yeah and to be able to say okay I come from human rights um, how, what would this supply chain software look like if we made it impossible for our vendors to commit human rights violations? Yes. I mean, and people go like, what? And I go, look, you know, so when you do your taxes, Alan, do you use something like TurboTax? I don't. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people do, right? Yeah. They use a TurboTax or some software to file their taxes. Yes. Now, TurboTax is designed so that it's foolproof you will never violate any IRS laws when you use your software to file your taxes. Mm, they'll make sure that you can. You're can't. always inside yeah. the, you know, you're, you're, you're good, yeah. right? Because they know the rules, they know the law, they've put it into software code. Yes. Right? And so for me, behaviorally, <laughs> it's easy for me to file a good tax return right because i just i just do it and i can't i, I i'm not going to get out of bounds right so when a child's born to the world if their world is codified in a way where they can't co- make any malevolent behavior so i mean we're talking about something these are aspirational and we're never going to get 100 percent. but we know that in the absence of that aspiration these technologies can and have been weaponized mm-hmm in absence, yeah, in absence. Like, people will find loopholes to... Right, to do, yeah. and so part of it is being mindful and saying, okay, within, <clears throat> the, within the letter of the law, 
people can't use our software to violate the law in in this thing that we're doing that would be an interesting i mean there are going to be all sorts of unintended consequences with that scenario as well but how do we instrument it so we can monitor that the good that's being created yeah far outweighs the bad because right now a lot of software has there's some good being created but the far far outweighs the good Mm -hmm. yeah this seems to continuously come back to having a, a, a first principles mentality around the things that we build into the world and having them be decreasing the potential for malevolence and increasing the potential for positive pro-social behavior. And that definitely requires humanities and that requires uh, ethicists and philosophers embedded into engineers of all sorts, not just computer science engineers, but just engineering of all sorts, designing of all sorts. So, um, and having some sort of a, a closed loop um, immediate uh, uh, system for um, an inclusive stakeholding plus positive pro-social behavior fabric that are pieced together. So I'm maybe immediately uh, yeah, getting that, that emotional boost when um, I'm, I'm helping someone, they get an emotional boost and you can both feel that, but maybe there's also some sort of another added layer of like a digital ledger where you're getting some sort of a token who knows? This is um, this is all massive part of our, our future, and and um, I'm very interested in, in what you guys are doing. I think um, um, us being able to help be a catalyst for spreading what peace innovation is doing around the world um, is something that we care a lot about, and um, and hopefully we can continue um, featuring you guys as you continue making um, new. Uh, uh, like little combinatorics of peace innovation and releasing them into the world and we can continue highlighting them to people and hopefully incentivizing or or, uh, catalyzing their creative endeavoring into also creating peace innovation style uh, technologies. I'm a huge, huge fan. You guys are doing great work. Yeah, thank you. I want to ask you about your relationship to source or to all that is or to God or to whatever you want to call it. Like what is your relationship to the reason why you're here and the reason why we're all here why am I here I am here as I said in the beginning um, to carry forward the values and memories of my ancestors Mm. So, uh, my mother's from Mexico and, and, you know, I kind of identify as Mexican, Mexican-American. And there is this saying that um, you're never dead as long as people remember your name. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the, um, when I think of all the people who have come and gone and all the things that they were trying to accomplish, their ambitions, big or petty... Um, whatever mark they made on the world or didn't make on the world, it comes down to the relationships that we had with the people who were closest to us. And if we're successful human beings at all, um, we're alive as long as people remember our name. Mm-hmm. When my father died, and my father was a humble man, he was a construction worker, um, the church was standing room only. Mm. Wow. Yeah. The, um, and then everyone went over to the graveside. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been to a fair number of funerals in my day. And there's something poignant and sad when there's like three people who show up. Totally. 
right? And there were so many people who showed up that uh, he had touched their lives. And I'm his oldest daughter, and I had no idea. Wow. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. wait, what? I've never heard this story. Well, why didn't I get to those stories? Why yet? didn't, yeah, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and it's interesting because we never really know our parents. Yeah, yeah. Right? We think it's like a mom, mom dad, dad, and whatever, and they're yeah. sitting there on the couch reading the newspaper it's or whatever. It's hard to get behind their eyes and ask good questions that query their most profound experiences. Or even to be able yeah. to recognize them as whole people and not just a, stereoty- a stereotypical role, very yeah. narrow, very mom, flat, two-dimensional. people. Right? And to you realize... You want to have the biggest funeral ever the most people show up to your funeral ever because they, and, and, because and like, it was know. just crazy because my sisters and I were looking around like okay we recognize a lot of these people but who are all these other people <laughs> and and he was just a construction worker but what his gift was was attention and he was very wise and he mentored a lot of young people yeah in his life and those people came back yeah and showed up to thank him because he listened and he was interested and he was curious yeah you know and i'm going like wow this is a beautiful story about your father and and everybody was there and it was amazing it was amazing i should be so lucky that i have you know i'm thinking when i die will will you know uh, hopefully my son will show up and you know there might be four people but i i could not in my la- in my imagination envision having so many people show up at my own funeral yeah yeah that's right. what a cool goal i love that goal of uh causing so much love uh cascades of love ripples that forever land in people's hearts uh so important yeah yeah and so that becomes part of their epigenetic memory yeah right yep. you know we talk about genetics yeah. and epigenetics and people inherit their ancestors memories yeah Cellularly, yeah. Um, can we can we push this kindness as far into the future as possible? Yeah. And what might that look like? Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know. This, the, you know. Uh, Ronnie Edry, who did Israel Loves Iran, he did this illustration of a heart, and and he says, "This is a bomb. Throw it." Hmm. Right. And so imagine mm-hmm. throwing love love bombs. Love bombs uh, four generations uh, into the future. Yeah. Kindness bombs, bombs three generations yeah. and, and that in yeah. in what I mean is that it's it's in people's cells. It's in their DNA. You've yeah. rewritten their DNA DNA in a way that future generations will thrive. We're really good at rewriting people's epigenetics so that people have inherited trauma. Yeah. What might it look like if we could rewrite people's genetics so that they had inherited kindness? Kindness, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love. I love uh, how it's uh, both talking about uh, the w- the way to to cause these cascades, these ripples of landing kindness in people's hearts, but it's also. Um, the action of it, of actually implementing that, is through the positive pro-social ch- behavior change. Yeah. Um, and then pairing those things together is a recipe for a beautiful future, yeah. Especially um, working in, um, you know, behavior change. Um, this is an interesting question to ask you. What are your thoughts on free will versus determinism? Ah, my goodness. As a Catholic girl, 
<laughs> I remember just going back and forth on this. Um, I think it's an and. I don't think it's an or. Mm -hmm. Because again, context shapes the, 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 the potentiality of what behaviors are possible. Right? And so you, you, you change a person's context, it changes how they'll behave. Um, so if I'm in a very restricted environment that I only have one choice, there's no free will. If I have millions of degrees of freedom to do something, then I've got a lot of free will. free will. I have a lot, but because free will is really about agency, right? And 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 free will. And if we think about agency, um, and I've been in Silicon Valley a long time, and I didn't come from a privileged background, but I have lived and worked among people who have had great privilege and grew up with great privilege. The mindset of people who have privilege is that they have free will. Mm. Mm. Okay, the mindset of people who have not grown with privilege is they don't feel they have free will, mm. and both are true. Mm. Because if you grow up in poverty, if you grow up in limited circumstances, yeah. there's just not you don't have a lot of your locus of control is incredibly small, yeah. right? Uh, you, you have a dollar for that meal, and that's all you have. Versus then, the I have right. abundance, I can buy whatever I want. Exactly, for exactly. So I think both exist in the world. Um, part of my work is to help people get more agency and part of um, getting more agency is being very clear on what you want mm -hmm. I grew up in a context where I didn't want anything because it wasn't possible so my I want muscle is about as good as my bicep is these days it's, there's not much there um, but other people who, who grow up with their I want where their parents are asking, Johnny, so what do you want? They're constantly thinking about what they want, and then more often not, than not, they get it. And so they, you know, they got a big bicep on that. Um, part of it for me is like, how do I get that mental fitness to start exercising your I want? Because when you do that, then you start imagining the world that you want, the life that you want, how you want your day to be. Yep. And it can be as little, as small a choice as you know, do you want milk in your coffee or do you want soy milk in your coffee? Do you want chocolate or vanilla? Do you want to... Drive this route or that, that route. That route, right? All those things are small acts of will, of agency. And when we start being intentional about that, then we start being intentional about how do we design our life. And when we start curating and designing our life, it affects the people around us. And that, and they behave differently because you're different. Mm -hmm. And that there, there's a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, do you think that this is a simulation? It doesn't matter. Why? Our brains can't tell the difference. It doesn't matter. Okay. And what do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world? The most beautiful thing in the world. <sighs> Nature. Life. Life in all its glory. Yeah.
such a blessing to have endeavored into life. Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever made life, you go, oh my God. I made life. I yeah. made life. This baby came <laughs> out of me. Yeah. yeah. I grew or that I grew baby. That, or, or I grew food too is good. I grew life in that sense. Or When I was pregnant, yeah. it was a very interesting experience. Because prior to that, it was basically a brain on a stick. I wasn't really connected to my body all that much. And then I got pregnant. Mm. And my body kicked my brain to the curb and said, move over, sister. We're in charge now. Yeah. And it was the strangest feeling I'd ever had in my entire life. Did you become like super more connected to your system? To the Absolutely. Way, what you're eating is what the baby's eating. Right. And, but it, yeah. but it, wasn't, it wasn't intellectual. Pregnancy is not a head exercise. It was all. Like, it's, 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 it's your heart and your body yeah. and everything else saying like, we got this. We were built to do this. You just get out of the way. Men need to somehow feel that. If men can feel that, we can have a better world. If, mm -hmm. if yeah, that's a that's yeah. More, yeah. Because then you realize, oh, I am really super responsible. Everything I do is going to impact that person. Yes, yes. And so when we think about how good we can be to each other, that is about as elemental as you can be because you have these cells growing inside your body in the process of becoming yeah and what you eat and what you think and what you feel and your stress and and your emotional state and your mental state and everything all have an influence on that other person so you can either inflict violence on that person that they will carry for the rest of their lives or you can inflict love and kindness on that person that will influence them for the rest of their lives it's your choice yeah yeah so that's that's about as close to being God as I've ever been. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Margarita, thank you so much for coming yeah. on our show. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for all your incredible work. Yeah, thank you. It's such an honor and a pleasure to collaborate with Peace Innovation Lab and and just hopefully catalyze more positive pro-social behavior around the world and have all these examples that you've got to unpack for us on the program and hopefully inspire other people you guys hopefully to, yeah to take action um yes yes thank you and everyone and check out all the links in the bio below uh to margarita's work you can check that out um on her website, margaritakiwis.com, also uh, peaceinnovation.stanford.edu and peaceinnovation.com as well. Check those out, check out her LinkedIn and Twitter profiles, check out the Peace Innovation Twitter as well. Have more conversations with your friends, families, coworkers, people online about peace innovation in general, about values-based innovation, about positive pro-social behavior, about how we can incentivize that and spread that around the world, everyone. And also support the artists, the entrepreneurs, the leaders in your communities that you believe in, support them and help them grow. You can find all of our links below to simulation. You can help us continue doing cool things like collaborating with great organizations like the Peace Innovation Lab. And also, go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Peace.